Amen. That's a, a picture or a song I want you to keep in mind as we listen to the description of what Paul is going to call the real or the true widows in our passage today. Uh, is there someone who's willing to pray for us as we open God's word? Go ahead, Donna. Come on up. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, please help Pastor Chelsea in her words today and help her in everyday life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I invite you uh, to start looking in your Bible uh, for 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I'm just going to quick do a reminder uh, what we're doing in this series on t Timothy. So 1 Timothy is one of three letters that Paul wrote to churches in Ephesus and Crete addressed to the leaders who have been traveling with him, doing missionary work, establishing these churches. So the leaders of these church communities, he's left them there as he's gone away, and then he sent this letter back because he's very concerned about stuff that is happening in their community. He's very concerned, and he's, he's actually kind of angry. He's hot under the collar is how I described it last week, and I, we sense that continuing he tells Timothy to share this letter uh, with the whole church community because they need to hear this wisdom. They need to hear these, these pieces of uh, advice on how to address this inside challenge. So these leaders in the church uh, in Ephesus are challenging what the faith that Paul has introduced to them is. They're challenging the truth of the gospel. They're challenging uh, who the gospel is for. They're challenging uh, the teaching that has been given to them. They're challenging the, the established authority of the church. And they're doing so from the inside. So this is an inside challenge to the church. And Paul uses this language at the beginning of the letter and then again at the end of the letter, saying that this is a good fight that Timothy and the church need to take up. And at the beginning of the letter, you'll remember that he uses militaristic language. He says, enter the battle, wage war for these things. And then by the end of the letter, he uses the same language. He says, good fight, but he uses a different word. He uses a word that's about struggle, struggle with competition, agonizing over, agony, feeling the agony of what the good fight of the faith will cost to you. And he calls it the good fight of faith. So this backbone that is throughout the letter of what the church should fight for. And so we're going to be thematically looking at the different things that that Paul tells Timothy it is worth the church fighting for. And we started last week with the broadness of the gospel, that it is worth fighting for the fact that the good news of the gospel is for everyone, that there is something good in the work of Christ for everyone. And God desires for all people to come to know him and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And therefore, we pray for everyone. Prayers of blessing, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of intercession. 
We pray all of those things for everyone. Because the inside challengers were starting to say that the gospel is narrow and it's good news for just us. And in particular, we'll, we'll study this a little bit more closely later on in our series. In particular, they become even more narrow to say it's good news and it's good for those of us who deny ourselves certain kinds of food and don't take up marriage. And so that applies to the scripture that we're going to talk about today. So as we read this passage of the letter in Timothy, we need to keep in mind that Paul is writing to a specific congregation. This is not a general letter. This is not a letter that describes humanity in broad strokes. He's talking about specific challenges and specific problems, offering specific advice about those things. Okay? All right. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not speak harshly to an older man, but speak to him as to a father, to younger men as brothers, to older women as mothers, to younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. So let's just stop for a minute. The first thing that Paul does in this section as he reminds us that as the community of faith, we are a family. We are a family who treats each other with kindness and love and respect and cares for one another, okay? So picture that as like a big bowl. We're all in this big bowl of being a family together. Now, here comes verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows, If a widow has children or grandchildren, they should first learn their religious duty to their own family and make some repayment to their parents, for this is pleasing in God's sight. The real widow, left alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Give these commands as well, so that they may be above reproach. And whoever does not provide for relatives, and especially for family members, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Little widow be put on the list if she is not less than 60 years old and has been married only once, or it could be translated, the wife of one husband. She must be well attested for her good works as one who has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the saints' feet, helped the afflicted, and devoted herself to doing good in every way. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when their sensual desires alienate them from Christ, they want to marry, and so they incur condemnation for having violated their first pledge. Besides that, they learn to be idle, gadding about from house to house, and they are not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not say. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage their households so as to give the adversary no occasion to revile us. 
For some have already turned away to follow Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are really widows, let her assist them. Let the church not be burdened so that it can assist those who are real widows. This is the word of the Lord. So remember, specific congregation with a specific problem happening in their midst and a specific problem that is starting to have extra effects. It is exacerbating other problems in their church. So you'll recall from the book of Acts, the depiction of the building up of the church and how important to the early church it was to care for widows in their midst. In fact, councils, meetings of the church from all over the area were called to help them figure out how to care for widows. So this was a value and something that was important to the church community. But here is what has happened in Ephesus. In Ephesus, these inside challengers, these people who are talking about the narrowness of the gospel, these people who are talking, well, are talking about the necessity of not giving yourself to marriage anymore and denying yourself of certain kinds of food, have gained influence on these younger women who are widows and convinced them that their teachings are right and convinced them that not remarrying is the right choice. So this problem, this call of the church, the problem, the, the call of the church is not the problem. The call of the church is to care for widows, but the problem that's happening in Ephesus is that, one, there's widows who have families that should be taking care of them, but instead the families have turned that responsibility over to the church, and two, there are just too many widows Because all of these young women who ought to be remarrying again, as the cultural norm was, were not remarrying. And therefore were taking the use of the support of the church who understood their calling to be to take care of widows. Now, here's the other problem with these young widows. Well, first of all, let me just explain to you uh, how there could be so many young widows. So at the time, uh, women were married off by their parents. Their parents chose their spouse. And more often than not, their husbands were at least five to ten years older than they were. So they, had a light, they usually lived, outlived their spouses. And the normal practice at that time is if you were still a child be- be- of childbearing age, you got remarried. So there you go. But here's what's happening with these young widows who have been caught up in this freedom of this life that the the inside challenges are offering to them. They are now going from house to house. And remember, the church at that time was a network of house churches. So they were going from church to church, talking nonsense. So the word that is, dis- is translated as gossip in our English here could have also been translated as talking nonsense. And that's important because gossip has this connotation of talking about other people, doesn't it? 
But if we think about it as talking nonsense, then one of the things that they're doing is they are spreading the teaching that Paul is saying is making things worse in their community. They are going from church to church, house to house, instead of building up the community of faith, they're tearing it down. They're busybodies, and busybodies are people who tell other people how something should be, aren't they? So they are spreading this work of the people who are challenging what has been established there as the true faith. And that is a problem. It is not that they are widows who shouldn't be taken care of, but it is that they are using the call of the church in such a way that the church is now becoming distracted from its call and not able to take care of the people who are truly widows and who really need to be taken care of. So Paul brings this up because the way that these teachers are working, the way that the people who are challenging the leadership are working, is having a negative effect on the church's ability to live its call, and therefore this is something worth fighting about. So Paul gives to them this solution. Take care of the people who are true widows. The people in your midst, the women in your midst who have devoted themselves to building up the community of faith. The people who are devoting themselves. Just look at the way he describes the two groups. Idleness and busybodies who talk nonsense versus women who devote themselves to prayer day and night to washing the feet, this picture of service and humility, to those who practice hospitality and make room for others, and who put their hope in God, not some status that the inside challengers were preaching about the narrow gift of those who deny the gift of marriage. So he says, put your focus there to what the call of God is and invest in those who are investing in God's work. And then use those women, because at verse 15, right? Or verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are really widows, let her assist them. But you get this hint that the mentoring that's meant to happen for these young widows and helping them to understand what has happened, how they've been duped, and to help them understand their actual desires. Because Paul says they are giving up their pledges and their first devotion to Christ to live a godly life because of their sensual desires. So these are women, these are young women who actually want to be married but have been confused by all this stuff that's been floating around and have latched on to it. So Paul says, help them understand what they're actually feeling inside of themselves and then show them and teach them how they too can build up not only the faith by investing in the life that is actually being called in them through that desire, but also will build up the witness as an agent of good in their community. Because more than once, we see Paul talking about the way that the church's reputation in the city is at stake. 
to live that peaceable and quiet life. Well, if this community of people have all of these young women who are idle and not being productive members of society, that doesn't look good to the city itself. It doesn't raise the status of the church at all. And so Paul draws to their attention again that the way that we conduct ourselves matters to the witness of God. And it matters to the peaceableness and quietness of the place in which we live. So focus on the call of the church. Focus and bless and build up and be like the women who are true widows, who are devoting themselves to service and to prayer, who are devoting themselves in hope of the work of God, who trust God. And in that big bowl that is the family, the church, there are little bowls that represent each of our families. And so if you're in a situation where you can support a widow in your little bowl, do so. And anyone who falls out of any of those bowls, don't worry, the church is there to catch them. Do you see that image that's set up? We are the family. You take care of your own family. And by doing so, you make it so that those who don't have family can be cared for. We all do that together. So take on that responsibility, and in that way, also live out a cultural norm and value. Because if you don't even do that, you're, not a, you're worse than an unbeliever, Paul says, which means it's common practice. This was common practice. And also, it's pleasing to God because it's the fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother to care for them as they have cared for you. All of these things make sense, don't they, guys? It's like he's saying, they make sense, right? And then help these young widows and understand that the work of these inside challengers are causing the church to be disrupted and torn away from being able to live its call from God. So this is the part for us, right? Because that's the main lesson here. That part about re- being reminded that when we spend our time talking nonsense to one another or being busybodies who have an idea of how something should go, uninformed opinions where we go from house to house or person to person or friend group to friend group, we can either be engaging in the fight, the good fight for the call and the mission of the church, or we have to ask ourselves whether or not what we're doing is taking the church's focus away from its call. That is the danger of our busybodiness. That is the danger of our grumbling among each other. That is the danger of our uninformed ideas and our lack of curiosity about what the church is called to and how the church is living that calling out. And when it becomes more narrow, when it becomes more all or nothing, we run the risk of exacerbating problems that God is calling us to work through. 
And so the invitation, the way that we invest in that good fight is to be people like the true widows who are invested in the mission of the church. In our case, to be a vibrant, spirit-filled community through which God reaches and shapes every generation. And at this time and at this place, it is the call to build relationships with one another, to be focused on spiritual growth for everyone, to share leadership in ministry so that we can take care of one another in such a way that we can actually take care and witness to others in this city. And as we have entered into this new time and this new call of God, we have been changing things that could lead us to, well, people are saying, but when people are saying, I always know there's going to, more likely than not, something that comes from a busybody habit. And this isn't to say that you can't have any complaints or any concerns about things that are happening, but they have to come from a place of investing in the call of God. They have to, call, they have to come from a place of putting your hope and your trust in God, from a lifestyle and a habit of hospitality and serving and washing one another's feet, of prayer night and day as the true widows do. Because we run the risk, and this is true for every single one of us in this room, we run the risk. If we are not invested in that middle voice that has an effect on me to be in this fight, we run the risk of being a distraction, of being something that pulls the church and ourselves away from the call that God has given to us, the call that God has given to our church. And so we want to be people who are truly invested and who care for the right reasons and who are open to having the wisdom and the mentoring of others, like the young widows, to be shown a healthier way of being part of the family of faith, so that we are not swayed by those who want to challenge and challenge and challenge for the gain of themselves, the authority and the leadership of the church, as represented on our council, as represented in me, and most importantly, as represented in the gospel good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ, who is the head of the church. And sometimes our challenges actually reach that far, whether we realize it or not. So may we be people who, instead of gadding about from house to house, devote ourselves, as the, as the women, the true widows did, show hospitality, wash the saints' feet, help the afflicted, and devote ourselves to doing good in every way. <coughs> Amen. Let's continue in prayer. Recognizing that there is so much that can lead us away from the call of God for our community. 
And so I'm going to lead us in this prayer, and I invite you, when I say God of all mercies, to offer these words, hear our prayer. So when I say God of all mercies, hear our prayer. Let's pray together. Bound together in Christ in the communion of the Holy Spirit, let us pray with one heart and mind to our God, saying, God of all mercies, that the love that passes ceaselessly between the Father and the Son in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit may renew and deepen the life of each Christian and draw us all gathered here into your unending life, we pray. God of all mercies, for the leaders of this church, for the members of council and staff, for the team captains, for the leaders of the nations, for the prime minister and his cabinet, for members of parliament, for those who gather at the United Nations, we pray that they may discern ways to overcome divisions and mistrust and may reflect your unity in every aspect of common life. And so we pray, God of all mercies, for our families, our households, and our communities, that they may be places of communion and mutual support, which build us up and strengthen us in grace and truth. We pray that you, God of all mercies, thankful for our world that you made through Christ, And renewed in the power of the resurrection, we pray that we may be wise and careful stewards of of your creation. God of all mercies. In In the power of the Holy Spirit who joins our prayers to Christ's enduring intercession, we pray for the sick and the suffering and all who stand in need, particularly thinking of those in Puerto Rico right now. For healing for all the world, we pray, God of all mercies. Gracious God, whom Jesus called Abba and Father, accept our prayers this day. By the inner workings of your spirit, deepen our communion with you, the source and goal of our life, and make us more and more signs of your enduring love in this world. This we pray through Christ who lives and works with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you'd like to spend time in prayer after the service, there will be people here at the front who will pray with you. And I invite you to stand to receive God's parting blessing. Aren't you so grateful that Paul was talking about a specific problem? <laughs> I am. Especially because I, I don't know if I would count as a widow, but I, I wonder. <laughs> May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be doing our dwelling in the word. And because we want to make sure that any kids who are in Sunday school downstairs, if they want to participate, we won't be starting until after they're dismissed. So be back here by uh, 1135, 1140-ish uh, for that. 
And our final song is, I don't remember the name of it, but I do know that it kind of ends abruptly. So I'm just giving you the warning. We're, we're gonna but don't do, worry about when it ends. We're going to do an, singing. an acapella chorus at the end. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. My soul, not yet. <laughs> My Savior, Redeemer, lifted me from the miry clay. Almighty, forever, I will never be the same because you came near. From the everlasting to the world we Father's only Son. You lived, you died, and you rose again on high, and you opened the way for the world to live again. My Savior, Redeemer, lifted me from the miry clay. Almighty, forever, I will never be the same because you came near. From the everlasting to the world we live, the Father's only Son, you died and you rose again on high and you opened the way for the world to live again hallelujah for all you've done you lived and you died and you rose again on high and you opened the Again, hallelujah. 